Hey friends, welcome to the Confetti Moments Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Hinshaw. I believe that picture books open the magic for all readers. Today, open your heart and let all the book feels in. It's going to be so much fun. Let's open the magic. Welcome to another episode of Confetti Moments. I'm so glad you're here. On today's episode, I get a chance to sit down with Giles Andre of, you all guessed it, one of my favorite books, Giraffes Can't Dance. We're going to talk about that book. We're going to talk about SEL. I might ask him if he's played Wordle before. And so I am so excited. So welcome, Giles. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's great to meet you. Yes, it's so fun, everyone. He is at 6.30. And will you remind me, where are you from again? Yeah, I'm, um, I live uh, just by the river in, in near Oxford in the UK. Oh, that's so great. And then you all know I'm from California. So we are very, very spread apart. And it's very, not early in the morning, but kind of early here. So I'm excited. Giles, why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself? Yes, well, I mean, I, I hope, as you said, I have one of my, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a children's book author, picture book author. And I think Giraffes Can't Dance is probably the one that m- more people in the States would know than some of the others. But I didn't really start as a picture book author. I'm also a, a cartoonist and an illustrator, um, a songwriter. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess also a picture book author. Oh my gosh, I love a songwriter. What do you write? I need to know anything. Well, I have. To, I threw that in rather casually. I, I do that really for myself, but I write. I'm a big fan of country music and all things Nashville. Um, in fact, I've spent some time in Nashville learning um, under my uh, favorite writer. I did a workshop out there for a couple of weeks with um, Gretchen Peters. Uh, and actually, I'm writing a, a TV show based in Nashville at the moment as well. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm a huge country fan. My dad's from Tennessee. Yeah, my dad's from Tennessee. I grew up with country music. So we we need to digress for a few seconds and we need to talk country music. So who are your people? Who do you love? Well, Gretchen Peters is my go-to. I just think she's the most intelligent songwriter. Um, And weirdly, um, I I had a funny... I I first became known as as a poet in the UK, really writing not adult poetry sounds a bit sort of sinister but not not really children's poetry and I, I did a stand-up poetry act and um it, it became a, a sort of big thing on I don't think it, it did well in the states but it was a big thing in the UK and published by Hallmark and various other companies over here um and I always I was always puzzled by the fact that poets over here contemporary poets so you know their stuff never rhymed and it wasn't rhythmic and it was usually incredibly depressing free verse um, and I met one of the main proponents over here called Luke Wright, and I was talking to him about it. Where are all the poets? And he said, I, I don't really know who writes about love. I don't really know who writes the good, heartfelt, rhyming stuff. And I got to Nashville and I was like, right, this is my tribe. These are my people. You know, so I was like country um, songs. There's always a heartache, a heartbreak, a, a, a lots of things, lots of heartfelt songs. Yeah, well, you know that. What, what's that? I can't remember who coined the phrase, but... Um, country music ain't nothing but three chords and the truth and it's so right yeah 
It's so, so right. So kind of back to what we were, you're here to talk about, even though I love learning that about you, I think it's fun that somebody from the UK loves country music, but why yeah. are, why are picture books so important? Like what makes them the best things in the entire world? Well, I think they're such brilliant tools to begin with. I mean, the way that as an adult, you know, a, a teacher or a parent or a grandparent or a favorite aunt or whatever shares a picture book with a small child, it's an incredible way to bridge a gap. And it's, there's, a, there's a brilliant quote by uh, one of my colleagues, I suppose, called Julia Donaldson, who's, I don't, don't know if you know yes. her books, but Ruffalo and so on. I read, I read it. Yeah. I read an interview with her recently and she said, she said, picture books are theatre with an audience of two. And I think that's so right. You're just, as an adult, you're, you're performing, but for yourself and for the child, because as I'm sure you know, you've got to do the voices and put your heart and soul into it. And I think as a child, not only do you receive the story, but receiving that level of attention from an adult is a wonderfully therapeutic thing to, to have done to you. It's such a generous thing to have done to you. And it's such a wonderful thing to receive undivided creative attention of somebody, of an adult you love. I think that's just extraordinary. And beyond that, you can, you, you're sort of, a, the convention allows you to address, you know, morals in stories much more um, obviously, which I don't think is a bad thing, um, perhaps than adult fiction does. Um, so from a very young age, I remember my parents reading picture books to me thinking, I can, I can see what they're trying to say. I can see what this book is about. And really, I learned some really, really important things from picture books about the way people are and how the world works. Aged four, five, six, I think that's an extraordinary thing to be able to do. It is. I 100% agree. I'm just sitting here thinking about my own students and how I tell their parents, like, just because your child can read does not mean you should stop reading to your child because it really is. I was just looking at your Instagram and saw that wonderful quote you put up a couple of weeks ago, actually saying exactly that. And, and I, I thought, oh, good, I'm speaking to this lady on um, Sunday evening. That's going to be fun. I think we, we will agree on a lot of things. I know people can see us now. I'm like cheering for him. Like it's quite a confetti moment over here. Because I was trying to like kind of recollect when I knew about your books. And I think that Giraffes Can't Dance was my first picture book of learning about SEL, social emotional right. learning. And I remember reading it and just sitting there and like I felt mesmerized and I felt hopeful. And how incredible is that that your work, you're changing the lives of so many people. And I remember reading it when I was a kid because it came out in 19, 1999 and I was still a kid-ish then. And- So was I. <laughs> but yeah. um, I was actually a freshman in high school, but um, I know I was just talking to some girlfriends last night and I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm almost 40. That's weird. Cause I remember when my parents were 40 and I thought that was old. So, and now I'm like 40 is like the new 30. So, but anywho, I digress. But your book, like it, that book had, I feel like it was the pioneer for schools and parents to bring social emotional learning into the forefront. And I know we're going to talk a little bit more later about social emotional learning. And you kind of already have shared about you reading growing up, but 
were you always a reader? Did your parents always read to you or was it something you did later in life? Um, I'm, I'm not, a, I, I'm not, I mean, although I work writing books, that's my job. Weirdly, I, I sometimes use the excuse that actually, because I'm, you know, looking at words all day, I, I, I'm ashamed to say, I don't know if I'm ashamed to say, I, don't, I mean, I, I, I like nothing more than watching telly and going to the movies. Um, but as a child, my mum, had four boys who she was devoted to and I was one of the eldest I say one because I have an identical twin so it was I just it was just magical cuddling up with her and my brother the fighting would stop the stories would start and actually the first when I first when I, I was talking earlier about knowing as a at a young age you could learn from books for young children and by the way you know adults in the best ones I think learn as much if not more than children from these books um, yes. And there was one book that I won't let any of my children or anyone I know not read. And it's actually a collection of stories. And it's um, it's called, I don't know if it's published under the same title in the States. It's Ten Tall Tales by Dr. Seuss. And I'd, I never really got on with Green Eggs and Ham and, you know, the, 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 the bigger ones. But this is a collection of ten stories in verse. And... One that particularly struck me was called Yertle the Turtle. Do you know that? Oh, you know I do, that yes. Story? I mean, I remember, you know, you're basically learning about Marxism aged four. You're learning that even the smallest, youngest, um, most squeezed turtle in the turtle community can topple the king if he's being treated unfairly. And every turtle is equal. And that is a powerful thing to be able to absorb through a hilariously funny, light-hearted, playful, beautiful poem in, in you know, comedy language. It's, I mean, the, the, the talent of that man was just, I think, still completely unmatched. I think you, you make a really good point about how one book can be met at so many different needs. A child can hear that book and be like, oh, that book was so funny, or an adult could read it and be like, oh, that was my therapy session for today, and it taught me yes, that yeah. I'm brave, or whatever. True, true. So, but all the, I mean, you know, the Lorax and, um, and all the stories in that book were just frighteningly, incredibly brilliant. Yes, well, tell us, how did you become an author of picture books? Was it like a dream, or did you just kind of stumble upon it? I, do you know, my last year at school, probably I should define school, so this was age 17, 18, um, over here in the UK. Uh, I remember, I, I strangely, I always liked verse, but I mean comic verse, stupid, silly, playful verse. Um, although I did read English at, at Oxford University subsequently, but, but even then I tended to stick to the poetry, largely because it was shorter actually than the novels. Um, but I did write, I've, I've still got it, a text for a rhyming picture book when I was 17 or 18 that I sent off to, um, to publishers while I was still at school. It was a bit of a sort of weirdly nerdy thing to do and got, you know, but, but perfectly polite, but rejection letters. And then I started, I'll try, I'll try and keep this story relatively tight but because I remember the question I'm answering, but I, I might lose track. I, I, I did a comedy stage act that was a stand-up contemporary poet, the kind of ones I was just mocking a little earlier. Um, 
And I did that all the way through my university years. And I came up with a name of a character, which was Purple Ronnie. And so I did this act called Purple Ronnie. And strangely, um, I then started getting it printed on greetings cards even before I left um, university. And through one sequence or another, it, it got picked up by a much more proper publisher, just again, in my last year at university. So weirdly, I came out of uni as a sort of published comedy poet. Um, and th that sort of blew up in the UK. It was, it was never very big in the States, but it was really big over here for 10 or 15 years on all sorts of merchandise. So all the companies that made, you know, Disney toiletries and calendars and all that kind of stuff, they were also doing Purple Ronnie over here. Um, but it was, it was, ad it was, it was, it was not for children. It was for adults, really. And every year I used to do a calendar in verse and every month and every, every year there'd be a different theme and it might be sort of sports or countries or whatever. And one year I did animals. So I wrote 12 silly poems about animals. And actually my publisher said, this reads much more like a children's book than, than a, a purple Ronnie calendar for adults. And I thought, well, yeah, God, I remembered I'd tried to write a kid's book five, six years before that, like I was saying. So my girlfriend at the time was an author. And um, I said, can I talk to your agent about this? And I did. And he sold it straight away as a collection of animal poems to a, to a UK publisher called Orchard Books. And that became a book. I don't know if it's published in the States, but it, it, it's called Rumble in the Jungle. And it was a collection of, it began as 12 because it was a calendar, but then I think it became about 20 poems. Um, and happily, that, that kind of sold pretty well over here. So slightly by accident, um, I, I'd become, I'd got my first picture book published. Um, so sort of in a, in, a, in a roundabout way, had begun to realize what my sort of fantasy job was before I'd even left school, but it happened by accident. Um, and then I just, I just carried on. I love that. <laughs> I just I love that. for like 30 years or something now. That is so powerful. It's so good for kids and even myself to hear that, that just like sometimes your greatest gifts just fall into your lap and sometimes you have to work for them really, really hard. And I know you still- Yes, but you know, the thing, I mean, I, I agree with you, but also I, I very much agree with the with the, the phrase, you know, it, it was a sportsman, wasn't it? I can't remember who, but it's funny. I find that the harder I work, the luckier I get. But, and of course I'd been right. I had written hundreds and hundreds of poems before this, but they were all on the sort of greetings card thing. So actually by the time I'd written my first children's book, they weren't the first poems I'd written. They were in the thousands, you know. No, I love that. And I, you know, I grew up with a dad who would tell us like hard work starts in overalls. Like there was no like, you know, hanging out. Like it was always work, work, work. And I think because of him, I have a really strong work ethic. And I don't know if you know my story, but I was diagnosed with dyslexia in third grade. And I was told that I would never go to college and now I am teaching at one of the best school districts in Orange, or in California, well, really in the United States. And I have my master's degree in reading and I've won teacher of the year. And so I 100% agree with you that hard work does pay off. Totally. Um, okay. I've done my What your listeners won't know is that I got in touch with Courtney to, to talk to her about picture books rather than her getting in touch with me. So of course I know who you are. <laughs> reading it before we connected. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so I have to tell you a quick little story about Brave Little Penguin. So gosh, it was like 
a Monday morning and we were going to library and a little boy came up to me and he said, Natensha, have you ever read this book? And when I saw it, I first noticed the illustrations and I was like, oh, well, I haven't read that book, but I've read Giraffes Can't Dance. Is it by the same author? And so I looked down and I saw your name. I said, well, yes, it is. Do you know about Giraffes Can't Dance? And he said, no. So then we went and looked for that book. But I said, I didn't know. I thought Giraffes Can't Dance was like the only one you had written. Well, hold on. I didn't know about the Brave Little Penguin. I did know about Free to Be Elephant Me, but the Brave Little Penguin I didn't know about. So he said, will you please read it for Open the Magic tomorrow, which is where I read picture books in my class. I said, yes, I will. And so I was reading it and we were all like mesmerized by the message. Like they, they were like, Miss Hinshaw, this is so your book. Cause I'm huge on being brave. And I have a mirror in my classroom where kids, if they're feeling anxious, they run over it and they say, I believe in myself. And then kids oh. clap. And your book was like the book everyone talked about for two weeks in my classroom. So thank you. Had to tell you that story. Well, later. good Lord. Thank you very much. That's, uh, I don't know what to say. I mean, that's just such a lovely thing to hear. Um, it was a funny one that because uh, Giraffes Can't Dance, when it came out, as you said, in 1999, um, it was what you'd call a slow burn. I don't think anyone knew over here for four, five, six years. Um, it, 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 it was kind of selling okay, but I, I, not, not particularly brilliantly. It was by no means my best selling book at the time. Um, and it just gradually sort of grew and grew and then it passed the million copy and then the two the two million copies and I didn't really even know um because it was my UK publisher has the world rights they kind of looked after the American well and all I think it's been published into 35 languages or something but um I didn't know until I got to I was in New York I can't remember what I was doing but I went into the uh there was there's a scholastic bookstore on in Soho yeah, it's not um, there anymore. Sorry, walked, break your heart. It, we're not there anymore. I don't know. I haven't been for it's many not. years, but I walked in there and you never quite know when you, you, you always, you know, as an author, you always go to a bookshop and they have everyone else's books but yours, right? But there was this massive pile of giraffes can't dance right on the front table. And I thought, oh God, I'm going to just be brave <laughs> and, and go up to a sales assistant and go, I'm just so delighted. I've come, I just dropped in here. I'm English, I'm a picture book author, and I wrote that book. And I went and told them, and they were like, oh my God. And I had no idea until then that, that it was becoming quite a thing in the States. And now I think it's sold over 10 million copies. And you guys are responsible for probably two thirds of that. I had literally no idea. But the problem was then my publishers wanted um, another, you know, Giraffes Can't Dance too. And it's not one of those books where, you know, it, it's got to start a middle and end and a message. And by, you know, Gerald, the giraffe has learned, you know, has learned the message by the end. So there was sort of nowhere to go. And I didn't want to just write book two, but just because we all kind of knew or hoped that, that it would sell. And so I just, I held back and I held back and I held back. And then 15 or more years later, I went, okay, look, it's time to do it a new one, but it's not gonna be anything about giraffes or Gerald. And I'm just gonna look at themes that I think I want to talk to children about and find the appropriate animal and the appropriate story for that. So at the time, I, we, we have four children um, and one of my little ones at the time was terrified of swimming. And I thought, 
that you know this must be a thing just being frightened of doing things when you're a child everything is new you know grown-ups have trouble doing new things but we can hide because we have our routines we don't have to do new things everything for a child is a new thing first time around um and so i just found this metaphor you know of a, of a penguin who's frightened of swimming i thought well, that i can really relate to um so i built a story around that really based around my son at the time um and it came out and it, and it hasn't it, it, it's weird with picture books you seem if you do if you are lucky enough to have a real breakaway bestseller it seems that you 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 sort of become defined by that book and in a way you're not allowed to have a, a book ever that will do anything like the volume of that because you know people's bookshelves you've got the very hungry caterpillar you've got in our case the gruffalo you've got you know um a shell silverstein probably the giving tree and you've got giraffes can't dance but in a way it's like only one from each author and I, it frustrates me i mean i'm delighted to have had that success but my latest book that i've done in that sort of series if you like with guy parker reese the the fantastic illustrator who i work with it is called free to be elephant me and it came out last year i think yes. and i i'm a, you know i'm english so i should be modest but I, and i am to an extent but i really really think that's a good book can i say that without yes, sounding you, you have to you have to believe what you write is good else it's kind of selfish putting it out there and expecting anyone else to so i sort of stand behind it but i love i love that book and i think it's got a much more relevant message but i sort of sense i'm never going to be allowed to have a book that does the sales volume that giraffes has done again and so be brave little penguin came out i don't know five six seven years ago and it's lovely to hear people like you talk about it because I fully stood behind that and I love that I think it's such a sweet um character that Guy has created visually as well and, and a mess you know this message of trust me hold my hand jump and you're gonna love it and that's so important I think to tell children so yeah that's that book came out of a personal experience um, but also kind of hustling from the publisher to get on with it and write some other books well, you know that were in the vein of giraffe just to rest assure your heart, if there's people like me, and there's many, once we find an author we like, we are very true. And when a new book comes out, it's like put in cart now. So I have like a oh, lot bless. of your books. So just know you are making a difference because your books are incredible. Thank you very much. I want to know, I want to know if you can tell me, is there anything next coming in that, that like SEL line with Gerald and Elephant and Pip? Yeah. Yeah, there's, you know, I was, um, so free to be elephant me, I'll just, just to talk to you very briefly about that in order to segue into what's coming next. Yeah. That was, my publishers kept going, you know, let's look at what giraffes is about. So giraffes can't dance is sort of, we all dance to our own music. Okay. You find your groove and you do it as well as you can. And that's what brings you joy. And it doesn't matter you know, if it's not the same groove as anyone else, find it and that will bring you joy. But I was talking to my publisher and she said, what about a book that's that's about, you know, my, I have two daughters, she said, and neither of them are particularly good at anything. And I was like, well, yeah, you know, most people are not particularly good at anything. But of course, what everybody can be good at is being themselves. And particularly in the social media and Instagram age, which, you know, 
more about than anyone, Courtney, because <laughs> everybody follows you. Um, we're always comparing ourselves. There's all this trouble, and particularly for, for young girls, older girls comparing themselves to other people. So Elephant Meat came about as, what if you don't have a thing that you're great at? You know, let's just celebrate the idea of just having the confidence just to be an authentic you. So that became Elephant Meat, because the, the book is all about, you know, are you elephant strong? Are you elephant mighty? Are you elephant noisy? No, but you can always be elephant me. That's who you are. So after that, I was thinking, okay, what, what do I really want to talk to children and adults about now? And it's, a, it's, it's, it's not an original thing, but it's a very current thing, which is gender identity and toxic masculinity. And I grew up as, as quite a weedy, does, is that an American word? You know, skinny, not strong, not very good at sport, ginger hair, you know, not, not, not your sort of um, jock, let, let's say. Not the most masculine of people. And then I had to share whatever masculinity I had with a twin, an identical twin, who was always like a little bit better than me at everything. So I grew up, and I was a poet. I mean, God, you know, that's not very, that's not very masculine. Uh, well, I mean, let's not go into that, but you, you, you see where I am. So I thought I'd really like to write a book about somebody who is expected to be very masculine, but is sort of the opposite, without it being overtly about sexuality or, or necessarily gender. I, it was just about non-conforming to, um, to, your, to your gender stereotype. Um, and I was sitting in the car and I just thought, okay, I want to think about what, what is, and what bravery is. Is bravery about being tough and strong and shouting at people? No, bravery for me is, is authenticity, but also um, uh, just um, vulnerability. That's what I think is brave, the ability to be vulnerable. Um, so I was just driving in the car and this title came into my head, Brave Dave. And I thought, well, someone's got to have done that. And I looked up on Amazon and Google and stuff. There's barely anything called Brave, certainly not any books, or I can't quite remember. Anyway, it's just like, my God, what a gift of a title. And I thought, okay, so who can be, who is Brave Dave? And Brave Dave, um, of course, was a grizzly bear because he's meant to be, you know. Um, but of course, my Brave Dave, this little grizzly, looks up to his big brother who is the archetype of strong and brave and fierce and loud. But my brave Dave loves the flowers and he loves the colors. Um, and he realizes, he, he finds a little piece of fabric discarded in a tree and he just, his, all his emotions come out and he suddenly realizes who he is. Um, and he just goes off and hides and you don't know what he's doing, um, but what he's doing I'm gonna choke up actually telling you this story. He's making a beautiful cloak for his brother. And you sort of think, oh my God, his brother's gonna hate this. He's not, you know, he doesn't want a pink cloak covered in birds and flowers and the sky. And he very tentatively calls all the other animals together and he gives his brother this cloak and it's like, oh my God, what's he gonna think? But it's the first time his brother has felt vulnerable um, and, it, and it goes really well. And then at the end, there's, we couldn't resist a bit of rainbow and emblematicism at the end. Um, but sorry, that's a very long answer to what's next, oh, but I'm so really beautiful. excited about it. And 
um, it's my my American publisher is actually I think quite stoked about it, and it's coming out. Ah, uh, I don't know, halfway through this year. I can't wait! Oh my gosh, I'm just like envisioning what it's going to look like because I love you're going to like it. I know you're going to like it. I think my I, I, my whole classroom is rainbows, so I'm like already sold. Like you said, rainbow. <laughs> I'm in rainbows and flowers. Yes. Okay, well, I need to know of those four books, and I know you have a lot of other books, and they're wonderful, but like these ones are like very near and dear to my heart. Which one is your favorite from Giraffes Can't Dance, Brave Little Penguin, Free to Be Elephant Me, and now we're going to add Brave Dave? Well, I, I mean, I, th I think as an author, you, you ought to always like the one you've done most recently because you're most intellectually engaged by it. But I mean, they're all, they're also all sort of about me, really. I mean, you know, my vulnerabilities, but I, I, the Free to be Elephant Me has a special place in my heart because um, it's just sometimes the way they come out of the pen and, and it's, it's not always easy to write first, but I was always very uh, envious of you'd hear a writer, I'm sure you've heard this, some writers just go, oh, this book just wrote itself. I just don't know where it came from. And I'm sweating away, moving words around and, you know, writing first and writing rhythmically. And it's very structural. It's kind of a bit like putting a crossword puzzle together, as I'm sure you know. And uh, I think um, uh, Be Brave Little Penguin, I think sort of maybe 24 or 25 drafts. Elephant Me, I think it's gone through a couple of word changes, but I think it was three drafts and it, it was the only time I've experienced this, this book wrote itself. And I sat down um, at, at 5.30 one evening because I'd had, the, I'd had the, uh, the title and the sort of general idea in my head for a while and you always mull over these things. Um, and this line came in my head, which was elephant mighty reclined on his throne at the start of the elephant games. And I thought, wow, I can't stop there. And it just and it just poured out, and and I was just I thought, oh, this is this is how it feels, and it was so exciting. And in three hours, I'd finished the first draft, which was like twenty five verses, and it was just I just I couldn't type fast enough, and it was so exciting. And I think that indicated to me that this was the right book to write about the right thing with the right people. And Guy, who's the illustrator, Guy Parker Reese, grew up. His parents used to have to take him to a doctor age six or seven because he wanted to be an elephant and he wouldn't take the answer that, Guy, that's lovely and you're sort of an elephant, but you're not really going to be a real elephant. And he was so upset that he had to go to the doctor. And um, anyway, so it finally gave him the chance of drawing a bazillion elephants. Um, so, and you can feel the joy I think you can feel the joy, certainly of Guy illustrating elephants, but I hope you can feel the energy and the joy of my writing it in that book. I just think it's got a really, just a joyful energy that, and joy, I'm all about joy. I think it's what we live for, um, simple as that. And I think it's, that book has got that joy in it, I feel. I, I love that. And I think like this conversation is such joy. It's readers we love knowing the why of like why picture books are and I love hearing about the elephant story because now when I go back and look at it I'm going to see the elephants in a totally different light 
That's just so wonderful. Have you gotten to meet Guy or do you get to converse with each other or is it very just like separate? It's such an interesting question and the dynamics of author-illustrated partnership vary enormously. Um, so I do barely any art direction with Guy. I, I didn't, I'm not sure I met him until after Giraffes Can't Dance came out. Probably didn't talk to him, but I was very young. So I was kind of well-behaved with my publisher because I was in my uh, late twenties, I think when I wrote that book. Um, but now we have a slightly closer friendship just because we've had to do quite a few events together. Um, but I will always write an entire text and make sure the publisher likes it before I mention anything to Guy. Um, but then him and the art director work very closely at the publisher um, to bring the visuals to life. And I have very occasionally, I'll say, I think that bear should be a bit more smiley or, you know, but only tiny little things. So we tend to keep out of each other's way. And, but one of the other great things about being creating picture books is it's such a collaborative, there are so many people with so many skills involved. Um, so it's a massive privilege to work with brilliant illustrators. And it's not for me to interfere with their brilliant talents. And I, I probably wouldn't take to it awfully kindly if an illustrator started, started playing around with my words. And see, I think that's awesome because I am very A-type personality. And I think one of the reasons why I keep, I have my picture book idea and it's there, but I'm like, but if I don't get to pick who illustrates it, and then I'm like, Courtney, you just gotta let it go. Like you gotta let no, it well, go. You, you, I'm sure you know everything about this, but the, the most common mistake that, that budding or, or, or picture book, people who would like to be in picture books and write picture books make is thinking that it needs to be accompanied by an illustrator. But so you know that it's a, they are only interested in a text. But then you will always, nobody will publish your picture book without you approving of, of the illustrator. That would yeah, be I'm mad. Not, I'm not really ready bad yet. Hard. Not ready yet, but it's, it's coming it's, out. When's it come on? Are we going to get a sneak, a scoop on this um, episode, Courtney? What is it? Oh my gosh, you, I think great minds think alike because you just use the word scoop and it's going to be an ice cream themed story with about mm -hmm. my story being dyslexic. And um, I have the title, but I'm, it's not coming out today. <sighs> How exciting. You heard it here first, people. I know. <laughs> I know. Like, kids don't once you stop recording, I'll tell work. you, but I'm not, I don't want it on the recording yet. But, oh gosh, I'm so excited but I will say it's not a dream just yet. It's there, but I want to do this stuff first. Okay, so I have a very selfish question to ask you next. Do you do author visits virtual um, for kids? Do you, and then also in the UK, do you do any, like pre-COVID, do any in-person visits for schools? I've done them from time to time. It's sort of strange because, um, uh, and, and it, it's kind of the same with, with festivals, which I occasionally do. I tend not to do them much because they actually weirdly take up a lot of time and, and I don't have enough time. I mean, nobody has enough time, but um, you, I, I do them for, you know, God children or obviously for my children's schools, but actually you have to plan what you're gonna do. You have to get there, you turn up and then because you're there, obviously you wanna spend a bit of time there. So you do a few classes, you go back home and it's, it's kind of an entire day, which is sort of fine if you don't, do them a lot and I, I don't lots of 
authors over here, it's probably the same in the UK kind of charge for it. You know, they have a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm whatever, $500 for a morning or whatever. And I don't, I don't like to charge for it. Um, but I also feel that means I don't have to do it if I don't want to. And quite, and it, it's really variable. This, I hope will surprise you, but it, it's quite strange how sometimes the schools think they're doing you a massive favor to spend a day going in and talking to them. And I also don't really like, I'll sign books if people bring them in. I will say, if you want to get a local bookshop involved, I will sign books and they can sell books to the kids, but I don't want to take money for the books. Um, I want the bookshop to benefit. If the school does have a budget, I'll go, I don't want the money, buy books for your library. But again, all of that, there's a sort of, it's not quite as selfless as it sounds because it, for me, it means I can enjoy it. I'm not there to make money. And it means I can say no if I don't want to. So, and they also quite often think think they're doing you a massive favor publicizing your books. And it's, you know, there are other, <laughs> it's not, I, I don't see massive sales hike in my books if I do a school visit. And then if you sell, you know, 30, 50, even a hundred books, you know, the, the mechanics are not there for me for it to be anything but a pleasurable thing. So I do do it from time to time, but I don't, I don't uh, only really for sort of kind of usually if it's a relationship, you know, like a, a, a close friend or, you know, something like that. Do you, see but I do, I'm, I'm anxious of saying I do because then, um, it, you know, it, it, it just, I know how many people listen to what you say. So I'd be sort of, you know, I'm slightly nervous of if I said yes to get, I, I hate saying no as well. I'm really bad at saying no. But do you think you're famous? Like, do you think you're famous? Because you no. are. Because you are. Well, I, I, I don't even know how to engage with that. And the funny thing about, I sort of see what, what's nice is when I do, when I do festivals, literature festivals, and, and usually more people turn up than I expect. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. So, because it's, it's such a strange job. It's not like being an actor, you know, in a, you can do a play. And you can see all the people watching you do your art. As an author, the very nature of being an author is it's utterly solitary and the book goes out there and then you've got no idea really. And then suddenly you look on Amazon and you've got bazillions of, you know, recommendations or whatever, but that's just big little clicks going on and you, you, don't, you don't know what's happening. Um, so I, I have no idea really. Um, it's well, an art, it's a strange job. But I, I get it because people will be like, oh my gosh, Ramona recommends. And I'm like, I'm just Courtney. I'm a teacher and I love talking about picture books. But yeah. I've had to like, when I see people out in public and they come up to me, I've had to get better at like, oh, hi. Because as much as outgoing I am, I'm very shy. And so people, I've had to work on that. <laughs> but, but, but people stop you in the street. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I don't get that. But, but then again, if you were like, in I don't know like at those festivals people probably and also because you don't get to see what I mean yes you look on the back and you see your picture but like people don't sometimes know like who that author is they're like not hey, least because if my publishers are doing their job they're using a picture that was taken 30 years ago <laughs> I look very different now <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I always laugh, you know, like if a picture book comes out of like a really famous person because their picture is like this big on the back. Um, right. But I feel like you're, you all deserve that too, because you're incredible. You all, there's the Tennessee coming out. Yes, yes. 
it's there it's there i like to keep it very not there but it does come out i i think it's such a beautiful accent i i just remember you know again in nashville just going up in my because and obviously they like the english accent too and so i'd have this lovely lovely thing i mean you know these southerners are so friendly anyway but i would get into the elevator as you call it on the first floor as you call it we call it the ground floor and like by the time we get up to whatever floor I was on fifth or sixth floor it's like I, I have three new best friends they have a new best friend um and we're all yelling each other I love it I love it that's so great well it's like getting to hear you it's like I am so like your accent is so cool to me and all of us watch all the Netflix shows that are from the UK and it's just like we us Americans can't get enough of your accent so well it, it it works in reverse as well I, I my identical twin I was telling you about he worked in um in LA for uh, lived and worked for 15 years or something and he says it's so weird you basically get a free pass for being intelligent they think you're intelligent just because you talk like this That's <laughs> he so actually true. is very intelligent though. I love it my sister my older sister she has two twin boys and they're identical and right. wow put your mother went through a lot with you too I'm like that's a lot of yeah well then two more not not identical but four boys yeah bless your mom and she always said I really all I ever wanted was four boys and then as soon as I had a daughter I thought oh that's so sweet she was lying and we never knew <laughs> I love that I love that so speaking of parenting and just like loving what how do you feel that your picture books help teach social emotional skills or help with mental health because that's so big right now in a, everyone's lives yeah well we talked about it a, a little already i mean i i the, the books that i write with guy these giraffes can't dance elephant me be brave little penguin brave dave coming up and there's another one after that as i said each one of these has a theme but you have to wrap it around a story that really engages children um, this is what you know. One of the great things about using animals is, of course, you know, instantly, um, you know, children just love. They're so visually brilliant and different and expressive, um, and also you you don't get so much gender difficulty because recently I've been doing I've been considering gender a lot. Not not only because of Brave Dave and I was saying to my children the other day, and all of my children adore little ones. Um, that actually, do you think as as a I don't think a, a girl has an issue particularly reading a, a, a book about a boy, like a, a young girl. A young girl will read it, I think, you, you probably know much better than me, that they will read a book about a boy and not, not think anything of it. But boys, I think, you know, it's a, where's a book about a girl? Why would I, you know, I mean, there's a big boy. There's something we can really do, you know. Amen. Um, so, as I said, gender is, is one big thing for me at the moment. But... All, all of, I mean, sorry, so all of those books, as I've said, as, that I've done with Guy have taken one subject that I feel strongly that I would like to talk to children and adults about, albeit in a playful and humorous way. But then I also write plenty of books that are literally just celebratory or joyful or stupid nonsense. Um, and I think just encouraging joy is good for social and emotional development as well. And really allowing not, and like children are so natural, they're incredible. They're an incredible species. They know so much more about life than us. And we just spend our lives 
you don't. But, uh, you know, we, we just tend to push children back. There's one of the most brilliant things I heard. I can't remember which illustrator it was, but I was in a session of my, at my children's book in the audience listening to an illustrator talk to children. And he said, one of the questions I get asked most is when did you become an artist? And he said, my answer to that is when did anyone else stop being an artist? That's much more relevant. Every child is an artist, you know? And we just go, oh, that's rubbish. Or, you know, I'm not the best in my class at arts, it's not gonna be my thing. Everyone is born creative and artistic and joyful and free. Um, so I just, I think books that just celebrate you know, I've, I've, I don't know if, it would, probably wouldn't have come out in the States, but I have some books that are done well over here and they're called Pants, Animal Pants, Party Pants. And Pants over here is underwear, right? As, as I'm sure you know, so they're kind of different in the States. But it's just funny, stupid rhyming text about all sorts of different bits of underwear. But actually reading that with children and laughing together, I think is a really wholesome and healing thing to do. But it's just about underwear, you know? I love that. Really, your point about encouraging joy really stuck with me. I wrote it down because it's true. And I think like I teach fifth grade and by, I would say I used, I taught third grade for one year and they still like love life and they still like have no shame, but it's like, once they go to fourth grade, that's when like all the, like, I'm not good enough. I'm not this. And I'm like, yes, you are like, you're incredible. You must show who you are to the world. Everybody's different. And so I love your books that really hone in on that, that it's okay to be you. It's okay to, you know, struggle with this and, or need help with that. And it's, that's our birthright that we all deserve to be here. And so I love your idea of encouraging joy through picture books. Cause that's, that's like Good. everything yeah. recommends is about. Good. But also, I, and I think we touched on this earlier, but I think the most fundamental thing is to allow children to grow with vulnerability and to and to and to accept and embrace vulnerability as a as a learning tool um i just think i feel so strongly that we need we all need to expose us our, our vulner, vulnerabilities i just think that's so important and it's it's how you grow and it's how people people like you if you're vulnerable you know it, it it's it's brilliant for growing relationships to talk about your vulnerability um i think that's so crucial and children are, get, get we, we frighten them into into not being vulnerable as they become adults and that's an awful thing to do so true well all us americans can thank ted lasso for helping us all become more vulnerable i don't know if you guys are oh, really ted lasso over in the in the uk but us americans that's like what everyone talks about so it was the sweetest it, it became a big thing over here my son recommended to me not not least because he's really into soccer but um, I, I just thought that's such an extraordinary show, just a, a sweet, nice guy, and just just celebrate the fact that he's a, you know, he's just, in, a, in a way such a normal guy, but yeah, you don't have to be amazing. And it's, it's amazing to be kind of just a, like a nice person. Oh, what a, what a, what a brilliant. concept. I mean, imagine pitching that. It's just about a guy who's, who's kind of nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. gosh. Uh, what a concept. Okay, next. I know, right? Huh? Okay, do you have to know, do you play Wordle? Do you know, I, I, I read something about it literally just yesterday. 
And I think it was about like the guy had sold it to a company for bazillions of dollars or something. I didn't know what it was. I still don't really know what it was, except it was invented by some. Yeah. Why did you ask me? Because everyone talks about it and I, I'm not jumping on that train. I'm on enough Everyone train. like in the world or, or, or British people or uh, no, just like generally. everyone, like everyone oh. talks about it and I'm just not jumping on that train because I'm, I struggle with the word no. And so I'm like, no, I don't need another thing I need to do on my to-do list every day. Yeah. No. Well, I, I, I'm one of those people who kind of, you know, wonders what happened to, to telephones suddenly. So the idea of having an app that that you can play games and I want like why would I do that but then I never engage with Sudoku or whatever it's called I I try to get things out of my life rather than things into my life because I'm happy you know I I just I love writing and but I don't I I just don't like having a long list of stuff to do and I I'd anything Instagram I finally somebody said look you kind of have to do this these days if you if you're in the public domain and I kind of I actually do quite you know but I'm, I'm always like ah oh, I wish I you know I, I should do as much as my competitors if you like and do you know and then I just if you don't want to do something you just you know. yeah you just gotta do so wordle no I don't want anything else to take my attention because my attention I love putting my attention on writing mm-hmm. but I, but as soon as you know I I don't even my children bless them they're really they love playing games and board games but the joke in the family is that I just won't engage because when my brain is turned off from work I just like to I love that it's my family I the only time I can ever get them to play board games is Christmas Eve if I'm lucky yeah if I'm lucky but anywho is there anything that we did not talk about that you want to share with my listeners I think we've been fairly comprehensive, to be honest, Courtney. <laughs> we have. I have a few more questions for you, but these are quick questions. One word answers, and you don't need to explain anything. All right, here we go. What book are you most excited about to come out in 2022? Oh, well, I don't think this is very fair because it's hardly even 2022 yet. I mean, what, what's gonna, going to be coming out? Well, yes. Well, okay, uh, uh, do you know this is, to be to be completely honest with you I'm afraid you're talking to an author and I would say my book Brave Dave and that, that sounds you know it's a bit like if you're on do you have that show Desert Island Discs in the States Mm-mm. no it's like you're 10 really big celebrities and you're interviewed about you know one of the eight records that you take to a desert island with you and then when a, when a musician goes well my you know this one that I wrote it's like oh stop it but actually you have to be excited about your own books else as I say I think it's the, almost the most selfish thing it's like what why would you write something that you don't think is worth reading so um uh that's hot i've broken my own rule but but brave dave by me is the answer i love it i love it do you ever come to the united states for book conferences i i don't come for book conferences i don't know why i've I've never been invited i once came to meet my publisher out there he's a lovely man um but i haven't been i i often well, I used to come a lot, a lot before COVID for, to service the other side of my life, which is sort of all the greetings card and the merchandise and stuff, because I also am published under another name for adults in the States as a sort of whimsical philosopher artist, um, where my name, this is a whole nother story, is, is Edward Moncton, and I produce weird philosophical draw. And in fact, do you know a book called The Pig of Happiness? Yes. 
that's me <laughs> under a different name. Oh my gosh, I, I, I love that book because I, because I love pigs. Huh? I love pigs. It's my favorite animal. And if you, everyone listening to this will laugh because I don't like books about animals because I'm just not an animal person. But your books, I love. And then I will, any pig book I love. Like there's not a pig book I don't like. Um, but I love the pig of happiness. That's too weird. Well, it's published, as you may know, by Andrews McMeal out in the States. And that was a bit of a thing. It's If anyone wants a, a, a quick, you know, five minute video while they're watching their lunch, there's a, there's a video of the pig of happiness on YouTube, which has got, which just went sort of mad, um, got a load of hits. And then I started seeing all the comments below and it's used a lot in schools, but we call it PSHE, which is physical, social, health, and emotional well-being. You, you've used a different word, yeah, but I know it's used yeah. a lot in schools. So I wondered whether you, 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 you knew it. And of course, you being you, you do. So yeah, I have this alter ego called Edward Moncton, and it's best described by one reviewer actually in America. He said it's kind of weird. This it's like children's books for adults. Yeah, so they're published. They're, they're they're in. They're not in the children's section. And the other one, which you may or may not know, which over here has become a, a, a thing, is called A Lovely Love Story, again, published under the name Edward Moncton, which Andrews McMill published in the States too. And it's a love story about two dinosaurs. And it's become a really standard wedding reading over here in the UK, which I love. What was, was I answering a question here? You I did, you remember. did. I love that. But I just thought of a new question I want to add is, and you can say pass because it, it's like when you ask somebody who loves picture books, what's their favorite? And you just like, can't do that. But yeah. I want to know who's your favorite author or illustrator in the United States. Oh, I look, I have to say Dr. Seuss, but I wish, you know, when I, we talked about him earlier, but it's, it's not green eggs and ham. It's not the cat in the hat. It's his fables, which you guys know more about in, in, in the States than we do over here, albeit, you know, he's obviously been a fantastically successful over here, but, but, um, Doctor's Uses Fables, the, the Lorax, the Sneetches, Yertle the Turtle, Gertrude McFuzz are and will, hmm, there's one exception. I was going to say are and will always be unmatched ever in the universe for the rest of time. But we have a contender over here who is Mr. A.A. A. Mill and, and Winnie the Pooh is, is the most extraordinary work of literature. It's unbelievable. And I'm reading it now to my 84-year-old mother-in-law who's ill. And I sit there for two hours reading Winnie the Pooh to her. And I don't know who's happier, her or me. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love Piglet. So, oh, that's so sweet. Oh, Where's oh. your favorite place to read? Oh, the beach, without question. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I, I, I could actually add only place I ever read. But then we're lucky we have a holiday home on the beach, so I'm, I'm there quite a lot. But um, so nice. uh, I love reading on the beach. I love it. I love that. I love that. If you could put yourself in a book, which book would it be? Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh at when Eeyore has his birthday. And if anyone who's listening to this has not read the story of Eeyore's birthday, where he gets two presents, it is so sublime. I, I'm going to come over to the States and have a word with anyone who doesn't read it. It is beautifully, beautiful. It's so knowledgeable, knowledgeable about human connections and the way we interact and the way our characters are formed. 
it, it's just masterful. Uh, I'm conscious that you've asked for one word answers and I'm not getting them. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I love it. I love it. But where can my Confetti Moments listeners find you and connect with you to learn more about your work? Well, I'm, I'm rather rubbish at, at being a public figure, but actually, as I've said, I, I do appear on Instagram now and then, um, and it's Giles, G-I-L-E-S, underscore, <laughs> the most complicated surname in the world, Andre, A-N-D-R-E-A-E. So Giles, underscore, Andre. And, and there you get um, any news that I have about what I'm doing. And I like, um, so Jason Isbell, back to country music, he's one of my favorites. And I, I sort of love the way he does his Instagram, which is a kind of mixture of funny pictures of his daughter, upcoming tours, riffing on his guitar when he's had a couple of whiskeys. You know, so my Instagram is a mixture of personal stuff, professional stuff. And, and it also, because this Edward Monkton artist, philosopher that I also draw, it's the only place where my drawings get posted. And I think some of your listeners might enjoy these quite strange playful philosophical drawings so I put them there too but it's a mixture of all sorts of stuff to do with me hello well thank you so much for coming on confetti moments uh you haven't been able to shut me up Courtney I do apologize it's okay it's okay all right it's been so much fun hey teachers how are you I am just so thankful that you have been listening to the confetti moments podcast it is something that I love to do. I love to share my love of picture books and books and the love of teachers with all of you. And you know what I would love as well is, hey, why don't you share this podcast with another friend to spread the magic with them and leave a comment. Let teachers know, what do you love about this podcast? What do you want me to share more of? I would love to hear from you. All you have to do is go on to wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave a review. Thanks so much. And as always, open the magic. Thank you so much for tuning into the Confetti Moments podcast. I hope each story or tip you heard today brings the love of reading into your heart. Take this confetti and sprinkle it all over the children in your classroom or home. See you back here next Monday to open the magic. Friends, I love a good graphic tee, don't you? Did you know that I just launched my new magic wear? Yes, that's right. I have new designs, colors, clothing, cups, and hats. You can celebrate the love of reading by rocking an open the magic hat to the beach, a picture books are my jam shirt to the gym, and sip your chai tea latte on Fridays like me in a all new All the Confetti Moments logo mug. Order today by visiting my shop at bit.ly backslash store. Again, that's B-I-T dot L-Y backslash M-A-G-I-C-W-E-A-R-S-T-O-R-E. All right, let's open the magic together and spread the love of reading all around the world.